Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, I hope my crazy accent does not throw you too much. Um, it's so nice to be here. Andrew was saying that uh, there's been like a fun partnership and friendship between Westside and Riverbend. I actually started following Riverbend on Instagram when I still lived in Scotland. So I've kind of been like snooping on your story from afar, which has been fun. So it's nice to be here and like fun that when we are here, there's so many like people that we've met along the way in our three years in the Northwest. Weird that we've been here for three years and connected with people and never been here before, but better late than never. It's our first time here, probably pretty likely to be our last time here, at least for a hot minute since we're moving back to um, lead a church in, in Glasgow. We're moving on December 13th. We booked our flight, so it's real life now which is very exciting slash scary slash uh, can't wait to do it, but need to make the most of every single moment while we are still here. So uh, we're, in a, we're in a funny time, but uh, one that we're, we're really enjoying. We've, we've been up here since Wednesday. We've been staying with Talia, which is always a pleasure, and seen Smith Rock and the Painted Hills and Elk Lake. We've been busy, it's been so fun to be up here with you guys. And we'll I'll stop talking about me for a minute. And we're going to get into um, our text for today. So we're going to be picking up in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, and we're going to be reading through to the end of the chapter. If you've got a Bible with you today, now's a good time to look that up. Um, if you've got a phone and you do it that way, that's good. I'm a digital person as well. Don't let these paper snobs make you feel bad. Um, it's all good. Um, while you're looking that up, here's a little recap of what Jesus has been talking about in this last chapter, and he's focusing on our attitudes and um, the kind of attitude that we should have in how we relate to him. And he starts off talking about money and our attitude in that, and that's that we give to people who have need, and we're not doing it so that people will notice that we're doing it because we care about kingdom values. And then he moves on to teach us how not to pray. Again, we're not doing that for show. But then he teaches us how to pray, including like asking for the things that we need to stay alive and kind of reinforces that thing that he taught in, in the previous bit where it's like, God knows what you need before you ask, but that doesn't stop you from asking. <laughs> you, still, you still ask and we're not entitled. We are children of God and we're not entitled ones. Anyway, moving on from there, he's like, well, this is what it might be like to actually go without food. Here's how we fast and here's our attitude when we fast. And again, it's, it's, we're not doing this for attention. And then he strongly advises that we don't store up treasure here on earth because that's all temporary stuff. Instead, we're storing up treasure in heaven. So the whole thing is about our heart posture, our attitudes. We're thinking about heaven stuff and like how we want to please our Father in heaven. We're not thinking about how we want people to think that we are good dudes. So heaven stuff not earth stuff. And Jesus is um, concerned about how his followers treat material things, even like essential stuff, like what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear and, and, and how you're going to stay alive. Like this is basic human needs stuff. And those things are important. I don't want you to hear today, we're going to talk about don't worry about what clothes you wear. And I don't want you to hear that like Jesus doesn't want you to be on a fashion show. We're talking about basic human rights here. And those things are important, but yet they shouldn't be 
our focus because Jesus teaches there's not enough space in our hearts to dedicate ourselves to earthly material stuff, even the important stuff, and dedicate our hearts to God. Like we're gonna have to choose at some stage. And not only that, Jesus says, if you love one, you're gonna hate the other. So you've gotta choose who you're gonna love and you're gonna choose who you gotta hate. And uh, he strongly recommends that you choose to love God. And I think that's some pretty good advice. <laughs> so that's where Jesus has been going. As we read on today, we're going to be expecting like a bunch of like similar stuff to come up. So let's read together. Matthew 6, verse 25, and it goes like this. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, like what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, like what you'll wear. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Like, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? Like, see how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry saying, what will we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after those things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all those things will be added to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Each day has enough trouble of its own. (laughs) No kidding. We noticed. So I'm not a natural-born worrier, um, but it's a learned skill. I have learned how to worry in the last year or so. And some people are naturally like glass-half-empty people, although you probably call yourself realists. And you know, you know that thing better than me, so you know best. That's fair. But all this worrying stuff is pretty new to me. I've never been a worrier. In fact, I've kind of been the opposite of that um, to the point of it being a problem. So, yeah, it's new, but I mean, life even gets the non-worrier sometimes, doesn't it? And it's kind of like, how can we not worry about life these days? So when Jesus opens up like this little passage with, don't worry about your life, we think, how? (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? Like, how am I not supposed to worry about my life? Like, just saying don't worry doesn't work. I mean, what's the worst thing that you could say to someone? whose like soul is being weighed down by a burden. Oh, just don't worry about it. Ah. <laughs> don't worry about it. Oh my gosh. So Jamie and I uh, learned a lot about each other. This is my wife, Jamie. She, she works on a different level from me. Um, one thing that I discovered about her this year is that like Jamie needs to be right, but not in a know-it-all way. In a like Jamie is like evidence-based way. So when she has something on her mind, she will need to like gather all of the data 
for all of like the potential scenarios, weigh it up, evaluate it, so that she can make a slow, careful, considered decision, so that she knows that decision is the right decision and she can move forward in confidence. She's a very rational person and that's a good way to work. So, if she's got something on her mind and she's worried about it, and you come up to her and say, just, you, just don't worry. She'll think, well, actually, I've looked at the data and it's stacking up over here and it is drawing me to conclude that actually I should be worried about this. This is the right thing to do. I should be worried, so don't tell me. Don't be worried about it because life is happening and it's affecting me. And we can see why she comes to that conclusion. And if you are the sort of person who has like 15 browser tabs open at once, you're probably that kind of person too. So you'll get it. You'll get it. Saying don't worry about it doesn't work for Jimmy. She has a rational core. I work differently. I'm, I'm much more emotionally driven. So if I've got something on my mind and someone comes to me and says, hey, look, don't worry about it. I don't need to be right. Like Jimmy needs to be right. I need to be accepted. And if someone comes to me with something that I'm worried about and they say, hey man, like just don't worry about it, I think, whoa, hang on. You're not taking me seriously. Like, I feel this. This is real to me. I, you, can't, like, you can't control my feelings. You can't tell me what to feel. This is happening. And it's happening to me. So don't tell me what to feel. I'm worried about this. And, and saying don't worry doesn't work for me either. So Jesus starts off by saying, don't worry, that thing that doesn't really seem to work for anybody. So what's, what's up with that? How does that work? And maybe it's not that saying don't worry doesn't work, but it's saying don't worry in isolation from anything else. If Jamie has evidence that will help her to conclude, actually, I don't need to worry, and we can say, don't worry about it because this, that's a different game. If someone comes to me and says, I accept you, I get this is real to you, but don't worry because you're valued here and your feelings are real and we're, we, we can do this together, that's a different game. So when Jesus says, don't worry about it, we're thinking there must be some other ingredients in here that can actually help us to not think, don't worry about it, okay, fine. So as we read on today, we're going to be looking for some evidence, and we're going to be looking for some acceptance, and it just so happens that Jesus is very clever and is able to minister us in the way that we need and in the way that is helpful. So here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to read on, and we're going to be looking for evidence, and we're going to be looking for acceptance. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Probably not add a single hour to your life, but what does stress do to your life expectancy? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yeah, I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God uh, clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Look, if you're an evidence-based person, 
like a details person, then I have got good news for you. God takes care of the details. Like even to the point of making sure that birds are fed, he takes care of those details. The evidence is there that God can and will take care of even the smallest details, and therefore he can and will take care of you. The evidence is there. You do not need to worry. He's got you. And if you go looking for some evidence, you'll find it. And he can put your heart at ease. But maybe you don't need evidence. Maybe you need acceptance. And Jesus says that God values you. Not just values you, but values you highly. And maybe like birds. I don't know. Like, you're worth more than a bird. <laughs> Thanks. You're worth more than grass that gets thrown in a fire. Cool. But as uh, we've been here uh, this week and we've been exploring uh, this part of the world with Talia and she's like, here's this, like here's the sage, here's the juniper, here's the rabbit brush. And she's talking about how much she loves that like this plant is in bloom right now, this plant is in bloom right now. And she values that. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> it's good to value some plants. It's good to value God's creation. Do you think he values his creation? Of course he does, but he values you most out of all of that. Like, pff, he's pretty good. And if you're, if you're a, 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 like emotionally driven, like you need to be accepted person, like that's good. You are accepted by God and he cares for you and he will look after you. And that's really good to know that no matter how you work, God sees you and he's got you. And that's reassuring. So if someone just tells you, don't worry about it without any actual reasons why, especially any reasons that might make a difference to you, then those words can come across as empty or hurtful, and that's not what Jesus is doing. He's giving us like a call to not worry, but he's also giving us some things that we can like anchor our souls to, and things that work for everyone. And that's good, we need those things, because when you find yourselves in worrying moments, like not just be like, okay, I see a bird, I'm good. But you can go out and look for the evidence in your life, like what has God done for me lately? Or what has God done for me in the past that gives me confidence that he's gonna be good for me in the future? Like when you feel yourself with your worry building up, go gather some evidence. And you'll see that your mind can be put at rest. And you can receive acceptance. And think, why would God do that for me? What is it about our relationship that gives me confidence that he is gonna look after me. What are the reasons why God would care for me? And there are so many. You're gonna think of so many. So whether you're an evidence person or an acceptance person, those are two really good things to think about to get a nice holistic view of why it is that God, why it is God's gonna care for you, how it is that he is gonna care for you, and for sure, he's gonna care for you and you can feel your confidence and your trust in him rise and your worry get pushed away. It's fun, good idea, Jesus. He knows what he's doing. We need that evidence and we need that acceptance because we have a tendency to mistake faith for denial. And sometimes we can convince ourselves that we're choosing faith and we're choosing to trust God in the face of some really hard stuff and we're making a countercultural choice not to worry about this thing and that thing and that sounds really good, but actually what is happening is just straight up denial. Or um, maybe not like straight up denial, but denial with some really good PR. So there's this dude called John Wellwood, and he wrote about this concept called spiritual bypassing. 
And he defined that as uh, spiritual bypassing as using spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep emotional, oh, so, sorry, sidestep personal or emotional unfinished business, to shore up a shaky sense of self, to belittle basic needs, feelings, or de developmental tasks. And people do this all the time. Christians do this all the time. And you're like, hey, I've got this thing in my life and it's really confusing and I don't know what to do and I'm really struggling with it and it seems like I'm getting led this way but that just doesn't sit, it even feels wrong, I don't understand what's going on but pff, I'm not even gonna think about it because the Lord works in mysterious ways so it's fine. Or you're like, I've got something going on in my life right now that is really difficult and my sister is, is really sick and we don't know if she's going to pull through. But it's fine because all things work together for good. What? Like, that, that's nuts. Like, if your sister's really sick to the point where you don't, you're not sure if she's going to pull through and you're not that concerned about it, well, that's worrying. <laughs> like, that's a worrying thing. And, and it, sometimes it, we can make ourselves feel like we've got a good Bible reason why we're choosing to trust when really what we're doing is we're just putting a big giant band-aid with a Bible verse on it over that thing and choosing to disengage from our problems. And Jesus is not interested in us disengaging from our problems. The whole way through this, he is like, God knows what you need and then teaches people to go ask for it. If you kind of put a little like band-aid over what you're worried about and pretend that it doesn't exist, your likelihood of, I mean, processing that, not at all. Your likelihood of going to God, not at all. Your likelihood of receiving from him, not at all. Like we are robbing ourselves of peace when we pretend that everything is fine, but oh my gosh, do we love to pretend that everything is fine. But then 2020 came along and kicked that to the curb. Now we all know that we have difficulties in our lives and it's okay to have difficulties in our lives and that's good. That's good because then we can engage and then we can ask for help and then we can receive help. That's good. Jesus wants you to be honest and realistic about your life. That's good. Hang on though. Is there a difference between like that spiritual bypassing and taking a Bible verse and thinking that thing so everything's fine and being like, I'm worried about something and I've walked outside and I've seen some grass so everything is going to be okay for me. <laughs> that kind of seems like the same thing sometimes, right? But is it? I don't, I don't think it is. I don't think it is because the spiritual bypassing thing is the whole strategy. It's the whole denial. But when we go outside and we see some grass, then we're thinking there is evidence out there that God will look after me. That's step one in a process for thinking, okay, well, what is the personal evidence for me? What is the acceptance for me? And then we're starting on a process so that we can properly engage with what it is. But if we just think, I'm fine because birds, that's a problem. I'm fine because God looks after birds and he look after me. Actually, he's been looking after me in these ways. Actually, I, I, I know that I can trust him 
is so much different than, than denial, and it's good. That's a good thing to do. It's a good, a good thing that Jesus taught us, and, and we do need to have like a little bit more of a process for thinking about how we can keep our worry under control. And um, when Jesus starts to talk about this process, he brings up Solomon. So it's probably good, a good idea for us to talk about Solomon too. So the words will be up on the screen, but if we jump to um, one of the classic Solomon moves in 1 Kings chapter 3, um, it says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon answered, you've shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. And you have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Okay, um, classic story, but we're gonna keep it simple. Is Solomon worried? Yes, yes, Solomon is worried. What's he worried about? Verse seven, he's worried that he's not his dad and that he is too inexperienced to be able to do his job. He's not a little child at this point, but he thinks he's too inexperienced to do his job. And what does Solomon ask for? We know the Sunday school answer is wisdom, and I guess that is the right answer. But how does wisdom express itself right now? Wisdom expresses itself by Solomon having a heart that is able to tell the difference between right and wrong and then to choose right and to lead the people into choosing what is right. Really, he's asking for help to be obedient so that he can help the people that he is like king over to be obedient could have asked for all the money and all the long life and all the peace and all the things. He didn't because he's the king. So he thought about king things. He thought about kingdom things. He was seeking the kingdom first. And that sounds kind of familiar to us. And that's what he did. And Jesus is being very deliberate with his Solomon reference. Solomon didn't fuss about the like here and now things, even though those were good things. He wanted kingdom things, and then God provided that for him and all the other stuff as well. Solomon wanted an understanding heart so that he could know what was right. And that made him able to move from being overwhelmed by his new job into a place of confidence where he knew that his decisions were being guided by God so that he could be sure that, therefore, they were good decisions. That's some big time faith. I asked God for this thing. He said yes, so I'm gonna step into that. The next, if you know um, First Kings chapter three, the next story is about the thing where he tells the story and he's gonna cut the baby in half. So he's using a pretty risky amount of wisdom in that time, but he's confident that God is gonna do something good in that, and, and he did. His faith was big. But Jesus warns the people here in our passage that their faith is small. So we want to have bigger faith and we want to grow and strengthen our faith. Well, how can we do that? 
We can do it by doing Solomon things. He recognized the reality of his situation. He didn't think, I'm the king. I'm not really sure what I'm doing, but I need to fake it till I make it. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't think that. He recognized the reality of his situation. He was honest with God about it. And then he trusted that what God said and what God did for him was for real, and he stepped into that. And coming up in our lives are times where we are going to get our faith tested and strengthened, usually by being presented with an opportunity to trust. And Jimmy and I have been doing a little bit of this learning in the last little while. So here's, here's something that's for real. God is not your grandma. And he's not going to swoop in and do all the things for you. He's not going to tuck you into bed and kiss you on the cheek. He's not going to make you a PB&J and bring it over to the couch. God is not your grandma. And he expects you to be responsible for your stuff. And sometimes he presents us with opportunities to trust him and to demonstrate that by our actions. And we have to step in to that. There's an obedience piece. That's what Solomon asked for. That was his responsibility. He took that responsibility. Sometimes God gives you opportunities to trust him and you will demonstrate your trust by your actions. God is not going to do it for you. You're a big boy or a big girl. You need to do it. Sometimes we think Jesus is all you. It's not any of me but sometimes it works way better. When we know it's the Lord work, we know it's Christ living in us, but we give him our whole self to partner with him and we're walking in step with him and that works way better. He's your God. He expects certain things from his followers. He's not your grandma. (laughs) Jimmy and I have learned that God is not our grandma. So... um, I gotta be honest with you, my dudes, this has been a tricky message to prep for me because it just hit a little bit close to home. Um, as like we were kind of talking about, we're gonna be moving home um, in December to start a church. And Jimmy and I are gonna be leading that together. And we're blessed that the church already exists. They're in a building, they've got a little community there that um, we're gonna take over from one of our good friends who's moving on to your next steps in ministry. We're really excited for that. And there is her salary that's there. And we're gonna take her job, expand it, because there's gonna be two of us, and we're gonna take her salary and share it, (laughs) because there's gonna be two of us. And that's not enough to live on. So we're kinda kicking into church planter mode where you start to step into all that uncertainty of where your money is gonna come from. And I guess, like, we have been talking more generally um, so far about stuff that is, can be worrying. But Jesus in this passage is talking about our relationship with money. And Jamie and I, I guess, like, from our cultural standpoint, we don't love talking about money. So, I mean, it's there in the passage. I've done a really good job of avoiding it so far. <laughs> but it's time. It's time to be a big boy. So we're talking about money, church planter mode. We need to do some fundraising. Everything from salary to moving costs to like finances to just help our ministry function. I know that you know the story of having a beautiful old 
church building that needs a bit of TLC. It's about to be our reality. So that, that task feels pretty daunting. We've always been in, um, in jobs where we've had that, uh, I guess, that financial security before. And the idea of like having to do the fundraising feels daunting. It feels big. At the same time, we completely trust God that he will provide for us. And at the same time, it, it does feel like a big mountain to climb. Sometimes we hold those things together. Sometimes it's a little tug of war in our hearts where we're like, this is going to be okay. And sometimes we think, this is going to be a lot. And that's been hard. And we've like constantly been going to God and, and praying and asking him to provide because we want to act like we believe that he is going to provide we're not going to be trying to think of like plan B's or like what can I do to provide for myself like what can I do to take God's job away from God and do it myself because I can see me do it and at least then I know something is happening and that will make me feel better even though we know that we will do a way worse job than him our little human brains sometimes don't quite, quite work. Sometimes we have that earthly perspective and not that heavenly perspective that Jesus has been talking about. And it's like constantly coming back to him to realign, 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 realign. And do you know, at this stage, I'm kind of fine with that. I'm kind of fine with being like, my worry is still a thing, but I'm constantly coming back to him with it. If I'm constantly being honest with him and asking him, then... At this stage, I'm kind of okay with that because I am being real about our, our situation and I'm being real about our reliance on God and it keeps drawing me back to him. And just because my worry hasn't gone away with a click of a fingers doesn't mean that I think I'm being disobedient to Jesus' call to not worry. Sometimes I still worry. But sometimes I feel that and then I go to him. Is that the worst thing in the world? <laughs> no. I'm kind of I'm okay with that. I'm kind of okay with that for now. Because every time I go, and every time I ask him, and then I'm looking for the evidence, I'm looking for the acceptance, every time the worry starts to feel like a little bit smaller. And the God starts to feel like a little bit gooder. <laughs> and things are moving in the right direction. But there's a little bit of worry but I am not going to be swallowed by it. And that's the commitment that I'm making to me. And that's the commitment that I'm making to God that I trust him more than I believe my fear that a worst case scenario is going to happen for us for certain. I believe that he is stronger than the lies of the enemy or even my like weird little twisted brain sometimes. And there's a choice there. There is a choice there for me that I could either go straight down the fear I need to provide for myself for it, or I could like every time like keep trying to get back on the track where God, like I know that he's gonna provide. There is a choice there. And Jesus' Solomon reference is like really clever. Solomon is, is, is a bit of a weird reference here. Like I'm first reading, it kind of makes sense. But Solomon is a complicated character, isn't he? Do you know that he starts off and you're like, oh, he seems like a good dude, but by the time like he's finishing up, you're like, what happened? Like, what happened to this guy? So if you were like only one answer, like Solomon, is he a good guy or is he a bad guy? It's really hard to make that choice, isn't it? 
he's a complicated guy. And Jesus throws the little Solomon reference in to be really clever and kind of confusing. And, and Jesus has just warned against stockpiling treasures on earth. And then he brings up Solomon. And you're like, weird. Okay. That's where you went. Okay. And Solomon's splendor has just been compared unfavorably to flowers of the field. Even Solomon in all his splendor, like there's drama and there's emphasis in Jesus' words. Even Solomon in all his splendor isn't clothed like these things and they get thrown in a fire. This stuff is temporary. Solomon's grandeur faded. Solomon's riches were lost. Solomon's reputation died. Solomon's pursuit of holiness, his commitment to that discerning heart that knows what is right and then does it, disappeared. He made a choice to abandon that. And look, God is not Solomon's grandma either. He's not going to do this for him. He's going to let Solomon make a choice. And we do have responsibility. Because we're looking at Solomon and God says, you made a good choice here, so I'm going to bless you with all this other stuff as well. Sometimes we think about grace, like God's help, his favor. Sometimes we think about grace that it is always unmerited. God gives grace to like hopeless sinners like us, and that's really good and reassuring, and it is really good and reassuring. Solomon made a good choice, and God said, hey, good choice. Therefore, I'm going to give you all this other stuff as well. Was that unmerited? It seems to me like God is deliberately showing Solomon favor because he made a wise, righteous choice already. God is not your grandma. Make good choices. Step into obedience and righteousness because sometimes God gives merited grace. When we make good choices, he blesses us. That's not our motivation for doing it, but he is kind of good like that. And sometimes there is more for us than worry. There is blessing for us. But what God is waiting to see is, will they choose me or will they choose fear? Will they choose me or will they choose themselves? And if you choose him, there's more for you. If you don't choose him, well, that kind of looks like you're missing out. We need to have an eternal heavenly perspective on that and not an earthly, temporary perspective. Here's what he's talking about. Um, he says, don't worry. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself, and each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is back to talking about the do not worry stuff. And he starts talking about pagans. They are those people who don't love and follow Yahweh, the God of the Bible, and their primary concern is their material stuff. If it's a choice between the God who created them and trying to do it themselves, they're always choosing trying to do it themselves. And no wonder that they're worried. Like, no wonder. But God knows what you need before you even ask. It doesn't stop you from asking. And then he blesses, because with that heavenly, eternal perspective, we're putting our faith and our trust in a higher power than us. That's a good choice, and blessing will flow from that. That's good. 
And it's kind of juicy that we get to see like both sides of Solomon in this. Do you know there is a Solomon at the start who makes a wise choice to respond to Yahweh and say, I need this thing so that I can be good for the sake of like the kingdom of Israel being a picture of the kingdom of God, you know? There's also the Solomon that chooses um, material things plus women plus power and has lost his heavenly perspective. And I guess the answer or the question rather for us is like, which kind of Solomon are you gonna be? Are you going to be the one who has worries, is blatantly aware of them and goes to God and asks for help and receives help and then lives in that with faith and trust? Or are you gonna be the Solomon who looks around, gathers up the evidence and sees that actually I've got everything that I need and more, I am cruising, I don't need God for anything, this is cool, I'm fine. Who's lost his heavenly perspective? Which Solomon are you gonna be? And I guess we have a different cultural vantage point than like Jesus' original audience. So when he's talking about stockpiling stuff on earth like you know, Solomon ended up doing, that's gonna look different for them than it does for us, you know? And the materialism of our culture has become so accessible that it, it, it's there for like almost everybody in any financial position. And maybe you can't afford to shop at Nordstrom, but there's always the rack. And if you can't afford the rack, if that's still a stretch, well, actually, thrifting is really in vogue these days. So you can find something and be like the most stylish person in the room and not pay very much for it. The materialism, the call to like get more, get more, get more is there and available for, for almost everybody in, in our society. And yeah, I mean, I don't know, especially the clothes part. And when Jesus starts talking about, don't worry about what you wear, and, and viewed from our cultural standpoint, that can feel kind of trivial, like it's just like style choices. And that's kind of unimportant. Yeah, there, there is more to life than clothes and, and style. When viewed from our cultural st- vantage point, that, that kind of feels like a weird one. Here's, here's a quote that I found in a commentary that when I was preparing for this, And here's what a dude says. He says, of course, a Christian should dress as well as he can. He. (laughs) Yikes, it was an old book. Um, Anyway, to be slovenly in dress or in any action is not honoring to God. The Lord called attention to the beauty of the flowers. I think he wants us to be as beautiful as possible. Some of us don't have much to work with. but we ought to do the best we can with what we've got. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Missed the point much? And like, I don't know, God does call attention to the beauty of the flowers for being beautiful, but his point is that that beauty is temporary. And what we wear can be beautiful. I love your hat. But, I mean, church clothes are good. But that stuff, is, that stuff is temporary, and it's fun, but it's not our most important focus. Do you know? It's so beautiful, so temporary, the flowers. Be, look good, or Jesus might not. He might be mad at you. I did my hair today, so I'm good. Anyway, we don't think like that. 
We focus on heavenly things. Jesus is calling us to focus on heavenly things. Does that mean that we don't shower before we come down to the living room? Is it in our metaphor? We don't clean ourselves up. We don't think about like who we are or how we act or what we do. No, God has standards as he should. He is the God of the universe. We should aim to present ourselves holy and blameless before him. Doesn't matter what your hair is like. We seek the kingdom and its righteousness and we present ourselves beautiful because of our holiness and our righteousness, which yes, we receive from Jesus. Thank you, what would we do without you? But because we receive, we wanna step into that. We wanna take responsibility for our actions. We seek the kingdom first. When we see it from God's perspective, yeah, that's what we do. That's what we wanna focus on. And then the blessing comes, and that's good. Now look, living an obedient, righteous, holy life is not easy. That's plenty for us to focus on during our life on this earth, like for sure. So we want to give that our full attention. And if we split our hearts, like God said, between stuff and between God, we're going to come out short. We're either going to love one and hate the other or love the other and, and, and hate the one. You know, like we, can, we can't do both. We've really got to focus in on some stuff. And when we see that there is evidence there for us, it's good that we, we don't worry. God will look after us. He accepts us. We're part of his family. That's good. We don't need to worry. He's got us. And when we decide that we're going to take our initiative and our responsibility and we're going to seek his kingdom, trusting that that means he will provide for us what we need, we can see our trust go up. We can see our commitment to him go up as he is committed to us and his blessing coming to us. I mean, will only give us more confidence. And in the end, we'll see that not only is it like a don't worry thing, it's that we just don't have to. It's not that we're not going to choose to. We just don't have to. He's that good. But that's hard. At the start of this message, I shared with you that I had uh, learned how to worry in the last year. And before that, I'd never been much of a worrier. And I think I was kind of in denial over my worry for a long time. And it didn't really snap out of it until I had to go to the dentist this year for like some like crazy tooth pain. And I should have seen the writing on the wall because there was like a season of my life where I was just having like really like uncomfortable jaw pain, like loads of it. And there is like three weeks straight where my left ear was just ringing like the whole time, day and night. And because I was like my inner ears right there, and I was holding so much tension in my jaw that it was putting pressure on my inner ear and my ear just rang for like three weeks straight. I should have seen it coming. But then eventually the tooth pain kicked in and I went to the dentist. And he scoped me out, and this is what he told me, and I quote, he said, you are grinding your teeth to their literal death. This tooth is dead, this tooth is dead. And you're like, cool. <laughs> Yikes. So he referred me to a specialist that I went to, and he had a look, and he, same conclusion, this one's dead, this one's dead, and there's a wisdom tooth there, and blah, 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 here's what we need to do, yaggedy yak, and he came up with a treatment plan for me, where we come from, um, healthcare is free. 
So not all dental care is free for sure, but um, getting a bill at the end or even like a quote for a treatment plan is, is not really something that we have really gotten used to yet. So um, my dude gave me a, a treatment plan and uh, here's how much it'll cost. It was $11,000. I think I know what the problem is. He has mistaken me for someone who has $11,000 for dental treatment. So my problem is that I'm worried about life. I'm grinding my teeth. It's killing my teeth. And the solution to that is that I need to find an like $11,000 that I just do not have out of nowhere or else I can't fix this. So my attempt to, I mean, dental care is important. I'm not saying don't worry about your dental care. My attempt to fix this brought more worry. And I'm kind of saying that in, in just that like, we talk generally about there's, there's stuff that worries us. Jesus is talking specifically about money, but isn't it funny how a financial aspect can creep into like pretty much every aspect of our lives? And um, it's, it's just nuts. It's, it's really annoying. And it, the financial part creeps in, makes things worse, and things only got to that point because I wasn't really aware of the problem in the first place. So I'm looking at this, and, and this, was, this was a hard message to prep. It was a lot of home truths for me. Be real with yourself. You have needs, and when you admit you have needs, your reliance on God goes up, and that's good. When you come to him and ask, you will receive. Jesus is about to teach his dudes, ask and you'll receive. Like, keep asking, keep knocking, you'll receive. Like some home truths for me. I'm asking, I know I'll receive. And when I receive, your faith goes up and your worry goes down. And Jimmy and I had dinner with Andrew and Grace last night. And when we got home, I thought, I'm just going to read through this one time before I go to bed. And when I opened my laptop, my, uh, a tab in my browser with my emails was open and I'm usually pretty good at not checking my emails on the weekend, but it just happened to be open, and uh, there was an email there, and the subject line was leaving Westside, and I was just like, dun, dun, dun. So I couldn't help myself but click on it. I started reading this email from a lady who um, has been coming to our church for about two years um, with um, her boyfriend, now they're married. He had been married before, and he ended up in like a really weird work um, situation where he's still working for his ex-wife's company and just in like, you know, like a really weird thing there. And he's wanted to move on, but, you know, the financial stability thing is a big thing. And I was, uh, I was teaching at Westside a couple of weeks ago and telling our story of how we're going to be moving on and God's calling us and how that sometimes when you trust him, you do stupid things like move to Scotland for a giant pay cut because that's the right thing to do. And God spoke to him through that. And sometimes you just have like those things where, I don't know, sometimes when you're, the, don't tell anybody this, but sometimes when you're the preacher, sometimes it does feel like God needs to teach you at first before you're going to teach it to anybody else. And sometimes that happens simultaneously, <laughs> which is kind of fun. And a lot of that was me kind of thinking, like, here's the story of what I've been processing as I've walked with God towards um, the plane to Scotland. And I wasn't expecting anyone to really, uh, I don't know, 
wasn't really expecting anybody to really connect with that. I was hoping that through telling our story that people could get excited for us, for what God is going to do in Scotland, that they'd know how to pray for us. And when I got this email to say that, hey, we've been thinking we need to move on from this bad situation, and we've been thinking about that for for ages, and then we saw how God has looked after you and how you can make hard choices, and um, it'll be worth it. And we're, we're looking, for, he, he quit. He's looking for new work. And we'd like, to, we'd like to say thank you. We'd like to support your ministry. Here's, here's some money to, to help with your church plant. So here are my dudes, normal people. I've never met them before, who simultaneously quit their jobs and give their money away. Come on now. That is so good. When you talk about seeking first the kingdom, having a heavenly perspective, they could probably do with that money. I mean, it wasn't a ton of money, but it meant the world. Like opening that email, God teaching me what he's teaching me through helping me to teach you. And then here's some evidence that God will look after us. And I feel seen and I feel accepted. And all of that because I'm opening myself up to process this and I'm being real with him and I'm asking for him and he is providing and it's good. And my prayer is that he'll provide for, for that couple as well. I know he can. Friends, we're gonna, we're gonna move into a little time of reflection. So if the, if the worship team wanna come on up, um, that'd be great. If you guys wouldn't mind standing with me and closing your eyes as we start to think about uh, What's next in light of what God has been teaching us today? Here's a little quick one to think about. On a scale of one to 10, one being not at all, 10 being a lot, like just hold this in your heart. How much of a worrier would you say that you are? Just kind of like hold that in your heart. On a scale of one to 10, how much of a worrier would you say you were in 2019? Has that gone up? Has that gone down? Where you at? There are two types of people in the world. There are the people who tend to give themselves a little bit of a break and be a little bit nicer to themselves. There are some people who tend to be a little bit too self-critical and a little bit too hard on themselves. That might resonate with you and you know which one you are, so maybe you want to adjust your numbers as appropriate. But can I like, have a think, has my worry been going up? Ooh, don't spill. Has my worry been going up recently? Has my worry been going down recently? Where are you at? And just like in the quietness of your own heart, we're gonna receive from God for a moment and we're gonna ask him to identify something that is a worry. Sometimes those things pop to mind straight away. If that is you, be like, God, is this the thing that, you, that you're calling me to be honest with you about? Let's just take a moment, if it helps you to hold your hands out, to, to, just to signify that you're ready to receive from the Lord. And we say, God, speak to us and bring to our minds. Help us to think of something that's worrying, that's weighing us down, that you would like to deal with. Bring peace, 
bring freedom. We're listening. what is it about that thing that makes it so worrying for you? Like is there a value that you hold that it's kind of pushing on, stepping on, offending? something that's standing in the way that kind of seems to be like a roadblock to you receiving peace this morning we prayed um, for our gatherings and we kind of had a sense that God wanted to bless this church today with, you know, with peace and trust and with hope, with comfort. So if you know that there is something that is on your mind, like weighing your soul down at the minute, and you would love to receive God's peace and his comfort in that, I would love to pray for you right now. And this is a safe space. We're family. But just so I know who I'm praying for, if that's you, could you, could you put your hand up for me? going to give you another minute maybe it's going to take you just a second to get that confidence all right sweet you can put your hands down god we love you god of all peace spirit fall in this place lord god i speak a blessing of of comfort for your people here today who need to be comforted peace and for hope that there is provision for them there is peace for them there is better times for them I pray that you give them evidence you don't need to prove yourself to us like you're God and we are not you don't need to prove yourself to us but God in your mercy show clearly so that we can put our confidence in you pray for them to step towards you in that pray for your acceptance to be on them that God I thank you that we can be honest with you we don't need to hide from you you're always coming towards us and we can come towards you and we don't need to be afraid you're strong and courageous and you can help us so I pray a blessing of peace may worry go down in the name of Jesus be gone and may trust and faith and hope come up you're good your steadfast love endures forever and we put our hope in you amen if God stirred something in you and you would like to receive a blessing out of that the prayer wall is open 
Like we've just seen how it's good to be honest with God about stuff and that is the first step in the pathway to receiving from him. These guys would love to help you with that. So during the next couple of songs, it's a really great time for you to do that. During this time, we're gonna be worshiping, prayers open, you can come and receive. Um, get, take the bread, take the cup, and we'll take communion together. But as we move into that time, let me pray again. God, we love you. We bless you. And we say thank you for who you are. Pray that you would work mightily. Your name would be lifted up in our praises. You deserve that. You, you, for real, you do. Be glorified. You're good. Friends, the tables are open.